Well, good morning again. Welcome to Silver Creek. We are so thrilled that you've chosen to join us this morning. Uh, thanks for taking, a ta- taking time to be a part of this. Uh, if you were here at the 930 service uh, and you stuck around till 11, uh, we are going to give some extra points to you and we'll be letting God know about that this week. So you uh, will be getting an extra blessing there. So uh, Good job, you. Uh, we are in our second to last week of our series called Choose Joy. Next week, we're going to wrap it all up, um, and we've been talking about this for a while, so if you've been sticking with us, the good news for you is you now know everything you need to know about how to be joyful for the rest of your life. So that's good news. Uh, we have been looking through the book of Philippians and, and recognizing that the book of Philippians is, is the most positive, most joyful book in the Bible. Now, as we come into this Sunday, which is the Sunday right before Thanksgiving, this is always a weird Sunday for me. And it's a weird Sunday for me, just like all Sundays are, where there's a certain thing I'm supposed to preach about. It always feels weird to me when when you know what I know, that you know what I'm supposed to talk about, right, on Easter. On Easter, when you show up or you watch online, you know that I'm supposed to tell the story about about how Jesus died on the cross and then his resurrection. And and if you come on the Sunday before Christmas, you know I'm supposed to tell the story about how Jesus was born and the wise men and the angels and all. You know that. You know that if you come in May, I'm supposed to talk about how great moms are in our lives and how how important ladies are. You, You know that. And so today, you know that I'm supposed to be talking about being thankful. And the problem is, is that when I know you know what I'm supposed to speak about, everything inside of me resists doing what's expected. Because if you already know that I'm supposed to speak about that today, then you already know that you need to be thankful. So I don't need to speak about it because you already know, and that would be boring for both of us. Right? It's sort of like when you go to the dentist, you don't go to the dentist to be reminded to brush your teeth. You already know. You don't, you don't go to Jiffy Lube to be told that you need to have your oil changed every 3,000 miles. You, you already know. So today, rather than telling what you already know, which is to be thankful and to remind you of all that you have, instead, we're going to focus on those things in life that are disappointing, those things in life that are frustrating, that worry that is created out of the stress in our lives that actually prevents us from being able to be truly thankful. I was looking this last week about about stress and, and about worry, and I came across a study from 2013, which is sort of funny, this, this study from 2013 said that in 2013, people were more stressed than they had ever been since World War II. And I started thinking, oh, 2013, we got you beat, baby. 2020, we now hold the new record. And I have a feeling that it's going to have a pretty solid run. Right? We got... Because there's this stress in our lives, and when the stress in our lives begins to happen, it begins to be generated by worry, because worry is a, it comes out of when we don't think things are going to turn out right. We worry when we don't think it's going to play out the way we think it needs to play out. We worry when we don't think someone or something is going to provide what we need from them to provide. And so then that stress grows out of that worry, and out of that worry, and out of that stress, it makes it really difficult to be thankful. And it's really difficult to be thankful 
and choose joy. If we can't find th- if we can't be thankful, then it's tough to choose joy. So this morning we're going to look at some verses near the end of the end of Philippians that I think help us deal with how do we overcome this worry and this stress and be thankful. Philippians 4, 6 through 13 is where we're at this morning. So let's read through it and then let's figure out how we can choose joy and be thankful in the face of stress and worry. Starting in verse 6, it says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whether the circum- uh, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned that secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. I was supposed to just stop one verse. Sorry, I gave you more than you were supposed to get. If you and I are going to deal with stress, if you and I are going to deal with worry, we, we, don't, we don't just hope that it fixes itself. We don't just hope that it goes away. If we're going to begin to get over that process of worry, we have to replace worry with prayer. We have to take the worry in our lives and replace it with prayer. See, see the number one stress in your life is not work. And the one, number one stress in my life is not, are not our kids. It, stress is not created by paying rent. Number one stress is not the leak in your roof. The number one source of stress in your life is worry. The stress comes from worrying about work and worrying about your kids and worrying about rent and worrying about the leak in your roof. It's worry. We, we may be overworked, but, but likely what the real problem is is that we're overworried. Work doesn't keep us up at night. Worry does. Most of us are overworried. And so if we're going to stop worrying, we have to figure out how do we begin to move past that. And so if we're going to move past worry, then we have to begin to recognize that we have to replace that worry with something else. Because just hoping worry goes away or even telling ourselves to stop worrying isn't the answer. We actually have to replace that worry with something. And the thing to replace that with is prayer. Listen to what Paul said again in verse 6. Paul said this. He said, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Now, if you were around here at 9.30 this morning, and you know that our Wi-Fi or whatever wasn't working, and the 9.30 service fell apart, it might be kind of weird to think about, don't worry about anything, or whatever goes on in your life. It might be impossible. It almost sounds silly to read Paul saying, don't worry about anything. Really? I mean, there's some big things that we cannot control. I mean, like, have the Seahawks really figured it out? Like, was that game on Thursday night? Was that legit? Are they, like, we worry about things. Like, we worry, is the Top Gun remake going to live up to all of our hopes? And and does the cell phone tower that's now been installed on the moon, does it actually have good reception? 
Like, we, we worry about all of these different things, and God is saying, listen, and Paul is saying, listen, even those things, don't worry about them. Because we really end up worrying about things that we can't control. And the things that we can control are the things that we don't worry about. And what God wants us to realize is that all of those things that we can't control, he is in control of all of them. And so he's saying, rather than worry about them, pray about them. Tell them about it. Share with him what's going on. Let him know why it is that you're concerned. Ask him to guide you through the situation and ask him to guide through the circumstances. Jesus actually spent a bunch of time talking about worry in in his most famous sermon. He was preaching about lots of different things and he spoke about worry for a little while. Now, I want to ask you to be kind here. Uh, No hate emails, no nasty phone calls, but we are going to leave the book of Philippians for just a moment. I told you we'd be there, but we are going to step out of Philippians for just a second. And I want you to hear the words of Jesus as he spoke to the idea about worry and hear how he speaks about the fact that there is no value for worry to be in our lives. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, whatever you will eat or drink or about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothed the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So Jesus gives us three realities about the idea of worry. The first one is this, is that to worry is human. If we look at the entire universe of all that God created, the only thing that God created that worries are humans. Birds don't worry. Cows don't worry. Dogs don't worry. Cats create worry, but they themselves do not worry. We, we weren't born to worry. You know, I mean, we might think we were born to worry, but the reality is that we've learned to worry. We've trained ourselves to lean into worry. And the good news is, is that if we've learned to worry, it means we can unlearn to worry. And we've learned it, and we've gotten really good at it, because we practiced it a lot. And, And I'm sure you're aware you can't go earn a degree in worry. There's no doctoral doctorate program, so you can get a PhD in worry. But some of us, we've gotten really good at it, almost professional. Like if there were if there were the Olympics. In the, game, in the Olympic Games here coming up in 2021, if worry was one of the competitions, some of us, we could score a perfect 10. We've practiced, we've leaned into it, but worry's not natural. And so Jesus points out the birds, and he points out that the birds aren't worried. And if there's anybody that's involved in God's handout program, it's birds. I mean, have you ever watched a bird? They don't do anything. All birds do are, like, birdie things. Like, there's no stress. They just flitter around and roll in puddles and look at birds. 
Jesus is like, look at the birds. They don't reap, they don't sow, they, don't, they, they build nests, but the, there's no food there. But he says, our Father feeds them. And, and notice that he uses this term, that, like our Father, your Father. Which means he's not talking about the bird's father. He's saying, this is your Heavenly Father. And if God, our Heavenly Father, who if you choose to follow him, there are special privileges that come with that including calling him our father and the fact that he is going to provide for us. He's saying, listen, the birds don't worry, and God's not their father. He's simply their creator, and they don't worry. And you and I, we weren't designed to worry. It's something that we've developed. It's a human thing that we've chosen to do, and it's not what we have to do. Jesus goes on to point out and identify that worry is simply unhelpful. Worry cannot make you an inch taller Worry can't make you an inch shorter. Worry can't take inch, any inches off of my waist. Worry can certainly add some inches to my waist. Worry doesn't lengthen our life, but it can shorten our life. Worry cannot change the past, and worry cannot control the future. What worry can do is mess up today. That's what worry does. The word worry actually comes from an old English word which means to strangle or to choke. That's what worry is. Worry literally strangles and chokes the life out of who we are. Every time we worry, we are strangling and choking the life out of who we can be. And Jesus is like, don't worry. It's not worth your time. It's worthless. It's, there's no, it's unhelpful. And then the last thing Jesus points out, he says, worry, worry doesn't motivate God. When you and I worry, really what we're saying is, God, I don't think you actually care about me. Worry is saying, God, I, I don't know that you're going to come through. Worry is demonstrating that I have a better idea than God because what he's doing isn't working. And when we worry, it doesn't motivate God to take action. And when we worry, we're literally communicating to God, I think maybe you've forgotten about me. God, I'm not totally sure if you love me. I don't remember if you, if you recall that you sent Jesus to die for me. So I'm not sure you know about my needs. Now here's what this doesn't mean. This doesn't mean we don't notice concerns or that we don't notice things that we need. This doesn't mean we ignore those problems. This doesn't mean we ignore those things. It simply means we have to change the way we respond to those situations. We have to change the way we respond to the needs and the concerns. And what Paul is saying is, rather than worry about those concerns, replace them with prayer. So what that means is when you, when you start to worry about if your kids are going to actually survive and overcome this whole learning at home process, instead of worrying, pray. Tell God what it is that's concerning you. And after you're done praying about it, if you get up and you're still worried about it, pray. And so when you're worried about your bills and how those are going to get paid, and when you're worried about finding a new job, and when you're worried about buying a new car, replace that worry with prayer. And when we replace worry with prayer, prayer doesn't just mean we now have this, we're looking for an excuse or permission to, to avoid action or be proactive. That's not, we're not saying, okay, I'm just going to pray about it and do nothing. But the reality is, when we begin to pray, it helps us to begin to understand God's approach. 
When we pray, it begins to help us understand what our plans and our actions should be and how they can respond and how we can get in line with what God's already got in the works. Now, since we've left Philippians for just a moment, I'm going to look at one more verse, and then I promise we'll go back. This was written by one of Jesus' closest friends. Peter wrote this. He said, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Give all your cares and worries to God. See, either you get to hold all your worries, or God gets to hold all your worries. And because we're worried about them, or because we care about them, they're a reality, your bill, your kids in school, your car, all of those things, those are truly something to, to be concerned about or be, pay attention to, but you and I get to determine who gets to carry the burden. The choice is ours. We get to determine what it is that we're going to do. We get to choose. We can either give the worries to God or we can try to manage them on our own. We get to determine where that happens. And, and, and we've already seen that worry doesn't actually accomplish anything. And I think all of us know that worry doesn't actually ever make a situation any better. But when we worry and when we allow the stress to grow out of that worry, it begins to highlight what we're missing. It begins to highlight what's gone wrong. It begins to highlight what could go wrong. And it becomes very tough to be thankful because we're so focused on what is missing or what isn't going to work out. And so we have the opportunity to give our worries to God and to pray instead of worry. So then let's talk about what does that prayer look like? How do we pray in such a way that that actually begins to work? And the way it begins to pray and the way we begin to pray this out is that worry is overcome when we give God the future and then we remember what God has done. We've already talked in this series about the connection between gratitude and joy. And literally, you cannot be joyful if you're ungrateful. I mean, joyful people are grateful people, and unhappy people are ungrateful people. And study after study after study has actually revealed that, some, that the healthiest emotion that a human can choose is the decision to be grateful. And the more we choose to be, build gratitude in our life, the more we'll be able to experience joy and a healthy way to live. Studies have actually shown that gratitude raises our immunities while being ungrateful and resentful lowers our body's immunities. And we know that, that being grateful allows us to deal with many things, including it allows us to deal better if we're going through depression, if we're going through anxiety. When we choose to be grateful, it gets my eyes off of myself and my own needs, and it helps me see what God has given me, and it allows me then to put my eyes on other people's needs. Instead of looking at what I don't have, I look at what I do have, and out of that gratitude, the stress begins to be reduced. And since we can't control the future, and since we can't control where we're going to go, worry simply steals our opportunity to be grateful for what has happened in the past. Because we get so consumed on what's going to happen in the future that we can't focus on what God has already done. And we end up being consumed by what only God can manage, and we miss out on remembering what God has already done. Check out the end of verse 6. It says this, Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. That's the, that's the formula. Tell him what you need, and then thank him for all that he's done. So when you think about the future, when you get worried about a situation, when you aren't sure how something is going to work out, you tell God, God, I, I need you in this moment, but I'm going to thank you for what you've done in the past. 
God, I, I need you to come through here, and now I'm going to remember how you've responded before. And, and this isn't like a, like a trick. Like, we're not buttering God up. Okay? It's not like, hey, God, I could really use a raise this year, and thanks for the sunshine and butterflies. Got him. Like, it's not. Being thankful isn't actually for God's benefit. It's truly for ours. Because when I ask God, when I show God where I need help, when I ask God to step into a situation rather than worrying about it, what gives me confidence that God will actually come through in that situation is when I recall what God has already done. When I remember what he's done in the past. And now because of that, I can choose joy. And I can be grateful. Because I look at what I need God to do and then I recall what God has already done. In life, too often, we, we, we think about life sort of in these ups and downs, where the reality is life is more like a train track. In our life, there's sort of this two-rail system that's happening at the same time, and one rail is the good things that are happening, and the other rail is the bad things that are happening. And the way we tend to look at life is we tend to look at it as like there's the good things, there's the, there's the, hill, you know, the hills, the way up high times, and then there's the valleys where things are going bad, and then there's those mountaintop experiences, and then there's the low dips. And we tend to think that there's good times, and we tend to think that there's bad times. It's not true. I mean, when you consider life, and you consider the events of life, it's like the train tracks. There's good happening, and there's bad happening at the same time. I mean, literally, no time in your life is everything good with no bad. And at no time in your life is everything bad with nothing good. Because no matter how good things are going in life, there's always something we could be working on. There's always something that's not quite the way it should be. And no matter how bad life is, there's always something to be thankful for. There's always something to be grateful for. There's always things to be concerned about. There's always things that we need. There's always issues where we need God to work. And at the same time, there are always reasons to be thankful for what God has already done. And that's the process of beginning to reduce worry and produce joy, is where we ask God and tell him what we need, and then we immediately thank him for what he's done. And what we need to understand is that ultimately, you'll think about what you think about. I know, okay, pretty, pretty mind-boggling. But it's so important that we recognize that, that the battle, that the, that the war over stress and what's going on in our minds is between our ears. It isn't about what's happening outside, it's about what's happening in here. It's about the battle that's happening in our mind, it's about the battle that's happening in our brain. Because whatever it is that we fill our mind with will determine the stress and the worry of life. Whatever it is that we fill our mind with, if, if, if you want peace in your mind, we have to start controlling what we allow in our mind. So too often we allow our minds to be sort of like a freeway where really anything can drive through it. And we fill our mind with poison and with garbage and with junk, but ultimately whatever we put in our mind will come out through our life. So if we allow ourselves to listen to gossip, or we fill our minds with crazy amounts of social media, or if we pack our brains full of all of the news of the horrible things going on in the world, if all we think about is water pollution and food pollution and air pollution, but we don't ever think about the danger of our mind pollution, we got a pretty serious problem. 
And this isn't about burying our head in the sand to what's going on in the world. It's not about burying our head. It's about evaluating what is it that we're burying into our heads. One of the most famous verses says this. It says, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Paul gives us eight tests. Eight tests for the things that we're going to allow in our minds that we're going to fix our thoughts on. And if you and I are going to lower the stress in our lives, we have to change and control what we're going to allow our minds to be fixed on. Is it true? Is it good? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it beautiful? Is it respected? Is it excellent? Is it worthy of honor? And the important thing we have to catch is that little tiny word at the very beginning. It says, fix. What are we going to fixate on? What are we going to fix our thoughts on? Because we aren't just going to ignore everything that's happening in the world. This isn't about putting blinders on and just pretending like everything else is fine. No, no, no. I mean, there are serious issues going on in the world that we need to be aware of. Right? We've got a pandemic that we need to pay attention to. Unfortunately, there's the horrible thing that's happening with sex trafficking that needs our attention. Politics are important in our life. Racism needs to be corrected. These these things matter, and we should be doing something to be a part of changing and fixing those issues and making them better, but it's not where we should fix our minds. We have to choose not to fix our thoughts on those things. We should give them some time. We should give them some consideration. But what is it that we're going to fix our thoughts on? What is it that we're going to concentrate on most? And if it doesn't match the test of the eight things that I just listed, we can't fix our minds on those things. Because ultimately what will happen in our lives is that we will look through the lens of whatever we've fixed our thoughts on, and that's how we view everything else. So if we fix our thoughts on the pandemic then we will look at everything through the filter of the pandemic. And if we fix our thoughts on politics, then we will look at everything through the filter of politics. And if we fix our thoughts on God and his character and his attributes, then we will look at everything else through the filter of God. So so we can choose to look at God through the horrific situation of sex trafficking and what's happening. If we fix our eyes on the sex trafficking situation, then we'll look at God through that. Or we can choose to fix our eyes on God, and then we'll look at the tragic situation through what we know about who God is. And ultimately, what determines the filter that we use to see the rest of everything else is based on where we fix our thoughts. And then the last idea, if we're going to be thankful in in spite of stress and worry, we just have to strive to be content. And oftentimes, contentment, we misunderstand the meaning of contentment. A lot of times when we think about contentment, it means you can't have ambition. You can't go for things. You can't have goals. Paul, who wrote the book of Philippians, was probably the most ambitious person that ever lived. I mean, Paul single-handedly took the good news of Jesus, the gospel that Jesus was here to save, he took it to the entire Roman Empire. That's about the most ambitious person around. 
And what Paul said is that he's learned to be content even when having nothing. But it doesn't mean that his ambition was gone. You can still be content and have ambition. Contentment does not mean you're lazy. Contentment does not mean apathy. Contentment does not mean complacency or fatalism or lack of ambition. Contentment simply means I'm going to enjoy what I have right now rather than waiting for something or someone else in order to make me happy or to find joy. It's enjoying what I've got right now and not needing more. It doesn't mean there's not going to be progress. It doesn't mean there's not going to be goals. It means I'm not going to be waiting for something else to happen in order for me to find joy. That's what contentment is. Contentment is independent of my circumstances. It means my joy is not going to be based on my happening because it's not going to be based on the things that are going on around me. It means I'm going to learn to enjoy what I've got right now rather than waiting for something or someone else to provide joy. Here's what Paul says in verse 12. He says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little. Let me give you three quick ways to develop contentment. First one, if you want to develop contentment, is stop comparing. Stop the process of comparing. Some of you know that this past spring I bought a boat. Simple, simple 22-foot sailboat. And when I say simple, it's got an outboard motor. There's no other electronics on it. When we bought it, the bathroom consisted of a five-gallon bucket and a toilet seat that kind of laid on the top. I mean, simple and gross sometimes. We've gotten rid of the bucket. Anyway, um, but this boat has been so amazing over this last summer. It allowed my family, we got to go outside, we got to spend time as a family. We had an incredible summer with this boat, and it was so basic and so perfectly met all of our current boating needs. But sometimes I find myself looking at other boats that are bigger or newer or fancier or has more gadgets or has better rigging. And what happens is I start comparing other boats and my mind starts not being content with the boat that's basically been perfect for us. See, we're always going to find somebody that, that has a better job or does a better job than we are. We're always going to find somebody that has more than we have and we're going to be discouraged. We can always find that. And we will, if we find that, we'll ultimately find that we're discouraged and it will take away the joy in our life. Here's the second tip if we're gonna find contentment. The second tip if we're gonna find contentment is we have to stop thinking that more is better. More typically just creates more worry and more things to protect and more things to keep working and more things to fix and more things to contain or maintain. So, so don't get caught up in believing that more is better because ultimately there will always be more to have. And the third key to contentment is to simply appreciate without acquiring. Decide you don't have to own it to enjoy it. Enjoy the new design of something without actually purchasing it. Be impressed by new technology without having to include it in your life. Appreciate the way a product works or the way something operates without going out and spending more money on it. Don't limit your enjoyment or appreciation for something by whether or not you own it. Now here's what I know. My, I know this for a fact, that none of us wants to live our life in a state of worry. 
None of you are hearing this morning and being like, nah, I think I'm going to just, I like worrying. I, stress, is, stress fits me pretty well. Nobody is thinking this morning, I'd rather live an ungrateful life. But even though all of us are there, even though all of us know that's not what we want, we have to recognize it's going to take effort, it's going to take work. In fact, I've just given you four areas that are going to take some work. And we've just talked to an entire book that is going to take some process. It's going to take some strength. And what's so amazing after all of the things that we've just talked about, and all of the effort that it's going to take, we're actually about to stumble into a verse that oftentimes appears on wall art and post-game press conferences with athletes. But it actually shows up right at the end of Paul talking about overcoming worry and stress and finding joy and being grateful. This is what Paul says. He says, I have the strength to face anything and everything by the power that Christ gives me. He's saying, it's the strength of Christ in your life that will give you the ability to worry about nothing. It's the strength of Christ in your life that will allow you to pray about everything. It's the strength of Christ in your life that will allow you to thank God for everything. It's the strength of God in your life. It's the strength of Christ in your life that will allow you to keep your mind on right things, to fix your thoughts on things that are right. It's God's strength that will allow you to be content whatever the circumstance. And that strength that's available to us is available to anyone that's in relationship with Jesus. And if you've decided that, that you don't need to be in relationship with Jesus, that is completely your choice. You just have to figure out how to overcome everything on your own strength. But what we know is that, that Jesus has actually made a relationship available to all of us to be in relationship with him. And when we're in relationship with him, now we can lean into his strength to efface anything that life throws at us. And his strength is so great that it defeated death. And there's nothing more powerful than the power to defeat death. And Jesus ultimately died for each, one, each and every one of us. And he died to take the place for the sin that we would have to die for. And that sin that in our, is in our life is any time that you and I break relationship with God or break relationship with other people. When we accept that Jesus died in our place, that sin in our life is forgiven. And then in the most powerful demonstration, three days after he died, Jesus defeated death and came back to life. And it's the strength that defeated death is the strength that's available to you and I that we can cling to to overcome worry. That's the strength that we can cling to to choose joy. That's the strength that we say, God, would you allow me to sense your strength in the middle of the stress, in the middle of all of the worry, in the middle where I want to think about what I can't control and not thank you for the past. God, would you give me the strength to tell you what's on my heart and then be grateful for what you've done. And this morning, if you haven't accepted Jesus before, we're gonna pray in just a minute and I would encourage you to repeat the words after me. Let's pray. Jesus, I recognize and I see the value of having you in my life and the strength that you provide. So Jesus, this morning, I would ask that you would, you would forgive me of my sin. Jesus, I recognize that you died on the cross, that you paid the price for that sin in my life. So Jesus, this morning, I accept that for myself. And I accept the fact that you, you then raised from the dead three days later and the strength that allowed you to overcome death is now the strength that will be available to me to overcome worry, to overcome stress, to fix my eyes on things that matter, to allow my mind to be fixed on things that are right and pure and lovely and true. 
God, help each of us every day to lean into that strength, to lean into you when life is tough and life is going crazy and it seems like everything is out of control. Jesus, give us the strength. Help us to understand how we can lean into you each and every day for the strength and the power that is only available through you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.